much for us. But Matthew chapter 20, stand with me as you turn. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. The call to stewardship is the title of the message. It's taken a couple, last week, this week, and maybe a little bit of next week, just to look at stewarding our lives for the Lord. And uh, here we see a little bit of a call to stewarding that life for the Lord in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us, he saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. When they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. When they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto the, the, this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many shall many be called, but few are chosen. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture and the lesson it has for us. Lord, you, you took some moments there and, and talked to your disciples about living for the kingdom and living for the Lord. And Lord, but you had it recorded in your word that we might also learn from it. And I pray that as I preach your word this morning, I would preach it with accuracy and with power, and that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts. And Lord, that you do a revealing work in our life, that as we see who you are and what you would have for us in the Scripture, that our hearts would be surrendered to your work. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This passage of Scripture, it's uh, somewhat of a little bit of hard to get your mind wrapped around, all right? You read that story and you think, I think I might have been a little upset too if I came out at the first part of the day. But the Lord was teaching His disciples an incredible lesson on living for the eternal. And uh, it, the setting of it, if you were here last Sunday, you, you know the setting of it. Last Sunday we looked at Matthew chapter 19 and in the morning and we, we looked to the rich young ruler. How many remember that story of the rich young ruler? He was rich, he had wealth, he was young, he had time, and he was a ruler, he had position. And he would come to the Lord and he would say, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? Uh, I've got a lot of things, but my eternity is not sure. How do I get it? And the Lord would look at him and say, why do you call me good? There's none good but one. He was calling the young, rich young ruler to make a decision on who Jesus was. And who Jesus is determines your future, is, doesn't it? Your, your belief in who Christ is and what he did for the cross will determine your eternity. But the young man was looking for something to do to gain it. And friend, you cannot earn your way into glory. And the Lord would begin to use some things to teach him this, this very thing. And he'd say, well, I'll tell you what, if you think you're so good, then keep the law. And he would list to him some things concerning the law, concerning the other, not to commit adultery, not to kill, and those things. And he would finish it with the last, to love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man responded to the Lord and said, all these have I kept from my youth up. I have been keeping these all. 
all of these. I've done all of these things, especially loving my neighbor. And so the Lord would give him an illustration to reveal his fault. And he would say to him, he said, well, then if that's true, you love your neighbor as yourself. He would say, go sell all that you have and give it to who? The poor. And of course, the rich young ruler confronted with this went away sad and left the Lord and, uh, because he had many possessions. And the Lord was revealing in his heart, you really don't love thy neighbor as yourself. Because if you did, that's just a change of bank account. But the rich young ruler rather had the feast on his table than the, and the, rather than the feast on somebody else's table. So he'd go away sad and the Lord would turn to his disciples and say, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into eternity. And the disciples would look at him and say, well, how can any man be saved? And God say, well, with, with man, it's impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. And he would highlight the need for a man to quit trusting in anything but him for salvation. Then the Lord would turn to his disciples and Peter, as he would speak up and say, Lord, if we have forsaken all and follow thee. We have forsaken everything that we have and we have followed thee. This man wouldn't forsake anything. He went back to his home and went back to his family and went back to his position and his time. And he has all of those things. But we've left everything behind and followed you. What do we have for that? And the Lord would turn to Peter and he would commend him and tell him uh, and say, look, there's going to be a greater reward in eternity than anything these folks will receive down here. And he'd enter right into that story, into this one, teaching them about stewarding their life for an eternity. Taking the things of this life and making them matter for an eternity. And I want you to notice the first thing we see here in verse 20. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. The first thing we see is the Savior's call. The Savior's call. He comes to these fellows and he finds them waiting for labor. And he said, I want you to come and I want you to labor in my vineyard. I'll pay you a penny a day to labor in my vineyard. Would you come labor in my vineyard for me with your time? And they made a deal with the Lord. And I think as I see this passage of Scripture, we see uh, the similarity of the call. I, I think of how he called these men. And matter of fact, he would call various other men uh, later through the day. Come labor in my vineyard. Come labor in my vineyard. Come labor in my vineyard. And I think of the call of the Lord when it comes to eternity from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 21. It says this. There, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? They're new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled unto himself by Jesus Christ. Reconciled, to be made at peace with the Lord. The Bible said before salvation we were dead in trespasses of sins. We were at enmity with God. And yet because of what Jesus did for us, because he looked down at you and I and said, I love those people so much, he would send his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. You and I who deserve death and deserve hell... God would say, I love them so much that I don't want them to experience it. So I'm going to do what they cannot do. I'm going to pay for their sin. And he would die on the cross and he would rise again three days later that we might be saved. And he would reconcile unto us unto himself. But it would say this, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. 
For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I think of that verse, and hath committed unto us, the, or and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. In another part, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You look back at that moment you came to know Christ as your Savior, that moment that you realize something, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You look back in your life at that moment when you knew something about yourself, I'm a sinner. The scripture revealed in your, in your life what the consequence of that sin was. For the wages of sin is death, where no, nobody gets out of this world alive, do they? But there's more than just a physical death. The Bible says in death and hell we're cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. The Bible says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the sorcerers and the whoremongers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There is a consequence for sin. And it is death and it is hell. But there was that time when someone showed you not only that there is a price for sin, but you knew of someone named Jesus who is the Son of God, who left his throne in heaven and came to this earth to be born of a virgin. And that was a necessary thing. Because you and I came into this world as sinners. David would say this about it, in iniquity was I conceived. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, the Lord would say, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Sin was in our genes from the moment of birth. Our fathers before us were sinners going all the way back. We were born into this world as sinners, and before long our life began to prove that we were sinners. And so our Savior came to this earth, born of a virgin, no sin in him, and he proved it with his life. For 33 years he lived on this earth and never sins. He was tempted in all points as, as we are, yet without sin. And then he was betrayed by Judas. Taken before the religious crowd who would blaspheme his name and hire liars against him and beat him and send him off to Pilate because they didn't have any legal authority to crucify him. And they would cry out as Pilate asked, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Before long... Pilate would wash his hands of Jesus and send him out to be crucified. And Jesus would die on the cross and rise again three days later that we might be saved. And there was a day in your life for me in May of 1995, I knew something about my Savior. I'd heard the story my whole life. But in that day, it became personal for me. Jesus died for me. And I knew something. It's a free gift. There's no earning it, is there? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on a Wednesday night in May of 1995, I went forward and I trusted in what Jesus did for me. And I was saved. Reconciled to God, made at peace with him. Clothed in his righteousness and he took my sin upon him. But as I trusted Christ as my savior, not only did I find salvation, but I stood up with the ministry, didn't I? That's what Corinthians tells me. I knelt dead in trespass of sins. I was quickened and made alive by what Jesus did for me. And I stood up with a purpose to serve him. To share the incredible word of reconciliation with people in my life. To serve in his vineyard. Can I tell you something, Christian? You don't need to wait for God to call you from your pew to share the gospel. You got the call when you got saved, friend. 
And friend, if you're waiting for a call, don't wait in disobedience. Just surrender to it and share the gospel. Because the moment you were saved, you were given your first ministry. The ministry of reconciliation, reconciling the word world to Christ through by, by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. A similar ministry. They all called each one of these men to the vineyard of their Lord. But there's also a very, the individuality of the call. I think of 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 9, where the Lord said this. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward, his own reward, according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are are God's building. The Lord was rebuking the church at Corinth. They began to argue over who led them to the Lord. Well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and they would argue over that. And Paul would rebuke them and say, look, some water, some plant, but who gives the increase? God gives the increase. It isn't about Paul, it isn't about Apollos, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. But every man will receive a reward for the way he's lived his life. For where he watered, where he planted, and he'll receive his own reward. An individuality to it. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 12, 4 through 8, we see this. For as we have many members in one body, that's in the church, many different people, and all members have not the same office. They don't have the same gifts. They don't have the same responsibilities. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You know, the Lord said, he said, we all have a similar purpose and God uses us in different ways. We're all in the same vineyard, all for the same point, but God rewards us according to how we use the gifts he's given to us. And we're in a room with a whole bunch of different people. Some of us from different places, different backgrounds, different talents, different abilities. But can I tell you something? God put us in the same vineyard, the vineyard of bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he called us to different means of doing it. You know, friend, you don't have to be just like somebody else to be used of God. That's the incredible encouragement. You ever ever see someone maybe with talent or uh, abilities that you may not have or funds that you may not have or, or time that you may not have and you say, look at what they're doing. I wish I were just like them. God's not looking for you to be just like anybody. He's looking for you to serve him. God equips us differently. May in uh, August of 1999, I was at a youth conference in Shawnee Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And, and I'd already seen a recruiter a, a week or two earlier. And my plans, my thoughts, I grew up around church. My dad's a pastor, for those of you who may not know. and Grew up around church my whole life. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I'd... I'd when I was younger, I thought, boy, I'd love to go into ministry. And then as I became a teenager, I thought, you know, maybe not. All right, that's what I thought. And never had a desire to really, truly just run from the Lord. But, but I thought, Lord, I'll serve you in my life, but, I, but not in full-time ministry. And my thoughts were, you know, I'm going to go into the service, and I'm going to go serve my country for a few years, and then I'm going to get out and go to college, and I want to build buildings. There's something incredibly satisfying about seeing nothing there, and then all of a sudden there, you, you, a building goes up and seeing that happen. And, and my brothers and I kind of worked a little bit in construction and painting, so we'd seen some of that, and I thought, that's what I want to do. So I was there, and, and the preaching was going on, and uh, the pastor was preaching, and I was in that, kind of sitting back over there, and, and as I was sitting there, I felt the Lord impress upon my heart, and I remember it clearly. It's almost as if the Lord said, 
I didn't put you here to be a soldier, Sephon. I didn't put you here to be a, to be a businessman, Sephon. I put you here to be a preacher. That's what I put you here for. And I, I sat there, and I, I was a very quiet person. You, again, you may not believe that, but very quiet person, very reserved, all right, and, and by nature, you know. And, and I thought, you know, Lord, you're choosing the wrong person and, and that type of thing. It took me about three weeks, and three weeks later on a Wednesday night at church, just a regular service, I, I finally just said, okay, Lord, if that's what you have for me, that's what I'll do. But, you know, it's God's purpose and God's will, and I believe it with all my heart that I am where I am doing what I'm doing today. I'm sure I'm not the greatest at it compared to some folks I've seen in my life. But I'm doing what God called me to do. But you know, there's nothing wrong with being a soldier, is there? For some folks, that's what God has for them. There's nothing wrong with being a businessman. For some folks, that's what God has for them. Do you know what the call is? To be where God wants you to be doing what God wants you to do in His vineyard. Busy about the gospel, busy about serving him with the talents that you have, not lost in our will, but surrendered to his will and the way he's working in our life. The Lord looks at his disciples and said, there is a call and it's very similar for Peter. He was in that church of Jerusalem many times. And then God would use him even to go to the Gentile and open those doors. But then Paul, we would see travel from strange city to strange city. We would see Luke, the physician, and Matthew, the tax collector. We'd see John and Peter, James, and John, the fishermen. Each man with different talents, different abilities, different levels of education, but all faithfully serving the Lord in the ministry that God had called to them in the same vineyard, but being used differently. Can I tell you something, Christian? God has a purpose for you. And the incredible blessing of stewardship is that God made you the way you were for a task that he has for you. And he didn't make one mold and everybody just fit the same mold. He made us all differently. He didn't give us all the same talents, didn't give us all the same funds, didn't give us all the same time. But he put us all in his service. There is a call, friend. God has a purpose for you. This world tells us you're here by accident, that one day nothing became something that exploded into something more. And slowly over millions and billions of years, we all arrive to where we are today. And it's all, an, all just by random chance. And God says, no. One time the creator spoke out of heaven and said, let there be light. And it all began. And he spoke this world into existence and he created man and sin came into the world through Adam's and Eve's choice and messed it up. But God had a plan that he laid before the foundation of the world and that was his son Jesus who would die on the cross and rise again that we might be saved, that we might know him, that we might enter into his service and tell a lost world out there living without purpose, doomed to an eternity, separated from God, that there is a God who died on the cross that they might be reconciled to him. And we are all in his service. In different ways and by different means, but all for the same purpose. We see the Savior's call in this passage of Scripture. We see the Savior's wages. Look at how he began to, to pay here in this passage of Scripture. It says in verse 5, And again he went out the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. About the eleventh hour he went out and found some others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the days of your idol? They said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and... Whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. 
So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his stewards, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came, they were hired about the eleventh hour. They received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. You know, what he began to teach them is. He began to show them, here, here these fellows come. They had started at the first part of the day, and they worked all day in the heat of the day, and they received their wage, and someone else came along in the mid part of the day, and finally the 11th hour of the day, and each of them received a penny. When I read this story, I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. You know what God did? He rewarded a man for what they did with what they had, not with how much they had. There is the lesson of the Lord, an incredible truth about stewardship that ought to be an encouragement to all, is God doesn't reward us for how much we have. He rewards us for what we do with what we have. You know, there's folks that come into this world that have all kinds of time. And there are folks that have little I'm reminded when I was in Indy, there was a fellow named Ernie, Ernie Phillips. And uh, earlier we went back, about a year ago or so, he passed away and went back to his, his funeral. Ernie Phillips uh, didn't trust Christ until he was in his 70s. And uh, uh, he was in his 70s. He, was, uh, he, was, he grew up on part of his youth on an Indian reservation. Matter of fact, one time he was, he was, uh, he was, he was half Indian. He grew up on that reservation. And he said one day he, they, they didn't like him very much because he was only half Indian. So a couple of the boys took him in their car and drove him out into the desert at the end of the day and left him there and then drove back. And uh, he said, the only way I made it back is because I could see some of the lights. So he walked through the night, got back, and he went into the schoolhouse, and those boys were sitting there. He said, I grabbed the biggest book I could get. And he was sitting in his seat, and I ran up and just wham! I whopped him across the back of his head and then ran out the back door. Don't do that in school this week, all right? Nobody do that in school this week, all right? But he, he grew up a little different, grew up, then he, the parents took him to California, and he was there for a time, and he moved to Indianapolis shortly after he got married, and he said when he arrived, he had less than a dollar in his pocket, that's something, less than a dollar in his pocket, and he became a mechanic, and uh, became number one mechanic for GM, and he worked for General Motors, and then he got into racing, the U.S. Nationals, the quarter mile, and he would win the U.S. Nationals and was well-known in Indy in the racing world as all the racing things that would happen uh, there and well-known. And when we went to his funeral, there was folks from, that knew him from those days, some folks high up in racing and accomplished folks. And then there was folks that, you know, obviously had known since salvation. And everybody made this statement, those who knew Ernie before salvation and after salvation said this, even those who didn't know Christ, there was a big difference before, between the Ernie before salvation and the Ernie after salvation. Ernie would serve the Lord with his life, the little time that he had, and he would twice on a Sunday, every Sunday he'd go to preach in two different nursing homes and uh, was just faithfully serving even through the week there. And one day he said, I only wish I had trusted Christ earlier in my life and been able to serve him more. I reminded Ernie of this, this passage of Scripture and told him, it's not about how much time you have. It is what you do with the time you have. Can I tell you something, Christian? It is not about how much time you have. It is how you are using the time you've been entrusted with. I'm, I am convinced that when we walk into glory, there have been folks that have been saved for a few years that are further than ahead in the line than some folks that knew Christ as a child. 
What do we do with what God has given to us? I'm reminded in the book of Matthew, the Lord would say this. He would say this and concerning, he said, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how people cast their money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Here's the Lord. There's, there's some lessons there. The Lord sat over against the treasury there in the, in the, in the temple as people gave and one thing to take notice of is God was taking notice of how much people gave. God knows what he's entrusted us with, doesn't he? He knows how much time he's given us. He knows how much talents he's given us. He knows the finances that he's given us. And God was taking notice. And in came these folks of wealth and they cast in some pretty good sums. And then in came this lady with little. And she threw in her two mites. And the Lord looked at his disciples and he said, you know who gave the most? The widow lady. She gave everything she had, and she gave out of her want, her need. Those fellows gave out of their extra, out of their abundance. And they may have given larger numbers, but they gave less. You know, the Lord is telling us, it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And I will tell you, Christian, that's an incredible encouragement. I don't know about you, but a missions conference will come and our missionaries will come up. The Gazways go into Egypt. The Grovers go into Libby, Montana. The, the Salts go into uh, uh, to England. And the Leakes go into Honduras. And, and uh, there's, there's one other I'm missing, but Brother Curtis Hall. And I, I don't know about you, but as I hear about the field and the need of, of the gospel there, I wish I had deeper pockets, right? I wish I had more time. I wish I had more abilities. But I only have what God has given me. And God's not asking of me to give of what I do not have. He's just asking me to trust him with what I do have. Can I tell you something, Christian? I, sometimes we look around at others that maybe, maybe they have more time to serve or more ability to serve or more talents to serve. And don't worry about what you don't have. Concern yourself over what God has given to you and use it wisely. And use it wisely. He said, you don't have, I think of these fishermen that left all and forsook the Lord and the rich young ruler that went back to his wealth. And the Lord said, fellas, how are you going to use what you do have, not how much that you have? He called them out, the, the Savior's wages. Lastly, we see this, the Savior's lesson that he would teach. Look at verse 2 again. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Here's the first group he goes to. He goes looking to hire some vineyards and he, and he sees them. He said, look, if you, if you work for me today, I'll pay you a day's wage. That penny was a day's wage in that time. And he said, I'll give you a day's wage for a day's time. And they had their agreement with the Lord. They made their agreement. That's what we would do. And then you skip down to verse six. It says about the 11th hour, the last hour of the day. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto him, why stand ye here all the day idle? And they say unto him, because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, go ye also into the vineyard. And notice this statement. And whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his stewards, call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they had come, they were hired about the eleventh hour. They received every man a penny. 
But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto the last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is mine eye evil? Because is thine eye evil? Because I am good. We serve, see the first group of the day that served the Lord out of expectation. They were there as the beginning of the day, and the Lord came to them, and He said, "I need to hire some folks to work in my vineyard." And I picture Him going there. How much? How much does it cost to hire you to come labor for me for a day? They said, well, we work for a day's wage is a, is a penny. We will we'll serve you for the day. And so the Lord made his agreement with them. And they had an expectation as they served him for the day, they were going home with a certain amount and they served him that day because of some future reward they might earn. They made their deal with the good men of the house. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good deal. He, a day's wage for a day's labor. But then this last group at the 11th hour, look at what it says here in verse 6 again. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. This last group, they'd been standing around all day looking for a job, and they didn't have any job, and they didn't have any field. To, and he comes to him, he said, Look, he goes, there's one hour left. Come work for me the last hour, and at the end of the day, whatever I give you, I'll give you. And these fellows would rather go home to their wife with something in hand than nothing, right? And so they said, well, we'll take it. I'd rather work and get something than go home with nothing. So whatever you see fit, whatever you do, I'm just grateful to be working, so I'm going to work. The first group had their expectation and they had made their deal and laid it out. Nothing wrong with that. The second group just said, well, whatever you decide to give us, we're just grateful to be laboring for you. Isn't there something different? Some people serve God out of expectation of something that they might receive and others are just privileged to be serving the king. Friend, God lays out in his word over and over and over again the incredible blessings that are coming the way of those who faithfully serve him. And I am thankful he does looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior. He says when he comes, he's coming with his reward with him. And he said, one day we're going to stand before him and reap the benefits of the way we've lived our life and receive those rewards those that he's given to us. It'll be tried uh, by fire and it'll come forth those, those, that gold, silver and those precious jewels. And what will we do with those rewards that we have earned in our life, those crowns for living for him? We'll lay them at his feet. But, but he's, he lays out the many blessings of serving God. Give and it shall be what? Given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. He said there's a reward for those who give. And, and some folks give for what they might receive. Some people order their life according to the word of God for the blessings they might receive in this life. And there are some wonderful blessings for serving the Lord, isn't there? Matter of fact, the Lord said, honor thy father and thy mother. And the Lord would say, it's the first commandment with promise that thy days may be long upon the earth. There was a blessing for following the command of God. Some folks serve God out of the expectation of what they might get for God by their faithfulness in serving him. And others look back at Calvary and what he did for them already and how he, how he died on the cross and the agony that he bore and the shame that he took upon him in Calvary and say, Lord, if I never get a good thing again, 
you've been already good enough to me. So I'm just thankful to be in your service. I will tell you this, the greatest way to serve God is just to be grateful that you get to. Just to be grateful. To give. And to be grateful just that you have something to give. To give of your time. Because you get to give. Friend, there is someone who loved you more than anybody else. I will tell you, most people that love you in this life will love you because you love them back. Or for something you might. We have our limitations on love, don't we? No matter who you are, we're human. And there's limitations to our love. But the Bible says this about the Lord. For God so loved the world. And he says this about the sinner. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were what? Yet sinners. Christ died for us. He loved us when we were sinners. He loves the one who accepts him and he loves the one who would reject him. And now the one who would reject him will face the consequence of the decision. But God loved us even while we were rejecting us. And there is nobody in this world who loves you that much but God. God loved you so much that when you were a sinner on your way to hell that he came to this earth and he died on the cross and he died in your place for your sin and, he, and he's made you his child and given you a home in heaven and given you the privilege of serving him and promised us that what lies ahead for the one who serves him is the greater rewards of heaven. But I tell you, as much as there are incredible blessings laying ahead for the ones who serve him, we have received so many in the past that just serve him because you get to, friend. Just serve him because you get to. If we never get another blessing, he already died on the cross for me. If we never get another blessing, he's already been good enough to us. There was a group that simply served him because of the expectation that laid ahead and the agreement they had. And friend, God God has made an incredible agreement with him. Walk in obedience to that word and there's plenty of blessings to be found. But there's enough behind us that we don't need another promise ahead of us to bring us to a place of serving our Savior. There's enough behind us that I don't need him to give me another reason to give of my finances, to give of my time, to give of my talents, or to give of my life because he's already done so much for us. And he looks at his disciples, and here they are. They just watched the, the rich man go back home. The rich man, the rich young ruler, you don't know where you're going to lay your head tonight. Or the, young, the son of a good man has nowhere to lay his head at night. Doesn't have a home. These fellows, they forsook their livelihood and they followed him and they're making it off the miracles daily. And that's a pretty way, good way to make it. They don't have much. And he said, I'm going to go back to my bed, my home, my family, my wealth, my time, and all of those things. The Lord looks at his disciples and said, boy, there's greater things laying ahead of you. But let me tell you just in case you forgot. There's enough behind you to motivate you to serve me today without all the promises that lay ahead. And we have a call from God. And the incredible blessing of the call is that God would take us who are without him and give us a relationship with him and pay the difference at Calvary. And then he would say this, I'm going to use you. And you say, preacher, Lord, I don't have much to give. Maybe your time is short. Maybe your funds are short. Maybe your talents are short like mine. He said, I don't know what I have. And God said, I'm not asking you about how much you've got. 
I'm asking you how you're going to use what you do have. And when you use me with what you have, I can use it. A few loaves and a, fishes, and a fish, a couple fish, God would use to feed 5,000 people. He would take a, a widow in the Old Testament that was about ready to die and take her last bit of oil and her last bit of meal and make a loaf of bread and sticks and she and her son were going to die and she would decide to obey the command of the Lord's man and God would provide for her for the next couple of years. God doesn't need much. He just needs people to entrust him with the little they have. Friend, a few bucks in the hands of God is better than a million dollars in the hand of man. A few moments in the hand of God is better than all of life in the hands of man. A little bit of talent in the hands of God is better than a wealth of talent in the hands of man. And God says, it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And when you serve me, not just out of expectation, now there's many of those laid ahead and the Bible makes them clear to us. He said, but these fellas, we're just glad to be working. Whatever you want to do, you do it. I'm just glad to be serving you. And I'll tell you something, friend. We serve a faithful and true God. And he rewards his people. So take it. Just serve him and let him settle what he'll give you. Because I promise you this. Whatever he decides to give you will be better than anything you get out of trying to make a deal with him. You trust him, don't try to make deals with him. Just trust him and serve him. And you will find that he pays better when you just trust than when we try to negotiate deals out of our God to just trust him. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for this passage of scripture that teaches us some incredible truths. I think of the disciples as they must have talked with you on the road as they walked with you or as they sat with by you and you taught them these incredible principles, but they weren't just for them. Lord, you decided to put them in the canon of scripture that we might have these words for ourselves today. And you said all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works that we might take it and apply it to our life. Lord, I don't know how you may have spoken to our hearts individually, but I pray that this morning we would make those decisions to be in the vineyard of the Lord, to take up the word of reconciliation and share it with another with whatever abilities or talents or funds we may have. Lord, I pray that we would remember, Lord, the wages of the Lord, that you are not looking for how much we have. You're just looking to see what we do with what you've already entrusted us with. And Lord, certainly that we would serve you out of the grace that we've already received and more than just the blessings that lie ahead. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask you this question. How many of you, first of all, could say, preacher, I know the Lord. For me, it was on a Wednesday night in May of 90, 1995 that I knew that, that I trusted in Christ as my Savior. Let me ask you this. When did you trust Christ? How many of you could say this morning, preacher, there was a time in my life, and I know this. You may not remember the date or the time, but you have trusted in Christ as your Savior. You said, preacher, if I died right now, I know I'm going to be with him because I've trusted completely in him. If that's you, could you raise your hand and say, preacher, I know that I'm saved. It's, it's settled for me. I know heaven is my home. Thank you, may Put your hand down. Is there anybody here this morning who said, Preacher, I'm unsure about that. But as I hear about the goodness of the Lord and what he did for me at the cross, I want to know him. I want to know heaven as my home and I want to know him as my Savior. And to be, to be frank, I'd like to be in his service for him. You say, Preacher, I'm, I'm unsure of that this morning, but I'd like to come to know him this morning. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Is there anybody like that? Say, Preacher, pray for me. Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart? I, 
I know how he spoke to my heart as I studied this message out, but between what God spoke to your heart about is between you and the Lord. Maybe he just reminded you of don't worry about what you don't have. I've given you something. Use it for my honor and glory. It was just a reminder, just he's done so much for you. Maybe you've taken a look around a little bit and said, well, others have more than I. And as he would rebuke those folks, he said, is, is thine eye evil because I am good? And, and you, the Lord just reminded you, friend, it's all about what he's already done for you. You say, preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart this morning. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play? As God has spoken to your heart, as the invitation is given. And take some time and spend it with the Lord. The altar is open, an opportunity to pray or to pray there in your seat or at the altar. And however it is that he's spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord this morning. Maybe there's something to trust him with. Trust him with your time, trust him with your talents. But as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord this morning.